guys. So you would think I would have figured it out by now after so many weeks of podcasting in place. Courtney is back and she sounds amazing, but something went wonky with my audio, so I apologize. I think I fixed the volume more or less, but I'm pretty crackly. Hope you guys will stick with us and I will try to do better next time. Here we go. episode 40 of Craft, Cook, Re-Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Wednesday, May 13th, 2020. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. Welcome back, Courtney. Thank you. I'm really appreciative of you and Kelly for The Show Must Go On. We did our best. I appreciate her (laughs) stepping in. It was excellent, and it was fun to listen to. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, so we will we will get back to all the things we've been doing on the needles, on the easel, on the table, on the nightstand. I think we're going to have a, one or two things for on the fly. And then we're going to chat about summer bingo, which is coming back very soon. So on the needles, I'm very confused about what I talked about and what I didn't <laughs> because of the time change in the recording. But I did finish my Vanilla is the New Black Socks by Anna Fletcher. And those were actually a birthday present for my mom. Or no, those were her Mother's Day present. They happened very close together. So that was why I maybe didn't talk about them so much last time. But this is the Vanilla is the New Black pattern that I've been, I think I've done three of them in the past few months. That's a great pattern for self-striping sock yarn, which is what this was from White Birch Fiber Arts. The colorway is Roman Nomial, which again, don't know what it's for, but it's a like a sage green and a gray-blue stripe. They're pretty wide stripes, about three quarters of an inch, and each one goes from like the really dark color through paler, paler to white in the middle of it, and then goes back out to the darkest shade of that color, which, I mean, sage green and gray-blue, they're not very dark, and then goes to the next one. So it was lovely. It was calming. It was totally different from the, the very brightly colored socks I had done before a nice switch and that's just a great simple pattern but really shows off the yarn and my mom said she liked those and then I also made another well this was a birthday present Kelly and I had joked about me making socks for her for her birthday little did she know I had been planning to crochet her a birthday cake now y'all might have noticed I have never talked about crocheting anything on the podcast (laughs) there's a reason for that because I don't actually crochet you do now I do now. So it's very exciting. So Boston Jen of the Down Cellar Studio podcast had made this cake for one of her nieces. She crochets toys for all her nieces and nephews on their birthdays and for Christmas and holidays. So she had posted this on her Instagram feed and I thought it was the cutest thing. And so I wanted to make something for Kelly for her birthday where sort of organized a group of friends to I mean, people would probably try and drop things off their house anyway, but we tried to organize it so that she was getting presents all day long and could see people individually and, and not have like a bunch of people at her house where she couldn't really actually see anybody. So, you know, quarantine birthday. So I thought this would be really cute, hopefully <laughs> fairly quick. And it ended up being bigger than I thought it would be. You make it with worsted weight yarn. So it was probably... Oh my gosh, it looks like the size of an apple in your photo. Yeah, no, I mean, that's like a full-size dinner plate that it's sitting on. So it's, 
It's probably, yeah, I would think it would be some little tiny emery thing. No, but it's probably, I don't know how big that is, four or five like inches six, tall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So well, definitely a little bit of a learning curve. I've, I've done crocheted edgings, very simple ones on knitting before, but it's been a long time since I've done that. Basically, I can do a chain so that I can do a provisional cast on for knitting. And that's about it. But I figured I could YouTube it. Everyone says crochet is easier and faster. So I figured it would work. And it did. It took me three tries to get the top correct, the top of the cake. That was kind of my holdup. I was learning the main stitch from a picture. And usually that works pretty well. I can understand a series of photos of what you're supposed to be doing. It was a single crochet stitch, I think, which actually involves looping the yarn, pulling it through and looping it again and pulling it through some stitches. So I missed the second part. So it was not, I was like, wow, this looks really weird. It's really hard to do. And so then once I watched a video, I was like, oh, I totally forgot the second half of the stitch. That's why it's not working. And then I was putting them through the wrong parts of the stitch. You have to put it through both of the loops of the, I don't know. Anyway, it's hard to, for me to explain crochet, but I did this whole other thing wrong, had to rip it all out again. Finally, I got it right. It started to look correct. Very exciting. So it was a white cake, and you do rainbow stripes in between the white. You make a little crocheted candle. You crochet some frosting loops, which was a pain in the butt. It's kind of like doing bobbles or noops in knitting, which are never fun, but look really cool. So it was a great learning experience, and it turned out really cute. And then I had to dig around in my button box to see if I had anything that could be used for eyes. And I, I for some reason, some point, I had bought a set of button eyes, like googly eyes. So I used those. It was really cute. She seemed to like it. And her daughter actually is a crocheter. Oh, fun. Yeah. So she's like, oh, you have to send me the pattern so she can she can make these for all her friends because it is, it is really cute. And I'm, the pattern is by Yarn Blossom Boutique. And she has them on Etsy and on Ravelry, I believe. And she has a ton of ones. She has a couple different cakes. There's, I think, some pies. There's animals. There's all sorts of cute things on there if you want to do some little crochet. And I think she has some actual accessories like hats and scarves and whatnot. That was super fun. And that was the Rainbow Birthday Cake by Yarn Blossom Boutique. And I was kind of thinking, oh, it's too bad I'm doing this now because it could be a new skill or, you know, new craft for the summer bingo, (laughs) which I don't, I think that was one of the squares I never got to last year. I guess I can retroactively. Oh yeah, I should find, I forget what I didn't, I had one empty square last year too. I forget what it was. Yeah. So I think that was one of mine. I think I had more than one. Other than that, I've been working on my continuous sweater or cardigan. I guess it's a cardigan, open front, by Kelly White. The yarn is Favor Oran by Sincere Sheep. So it's a big, chunky yarn. It's in a purplish color. It doesn't have an actual colorway. And it's this huge, oversized shrug in this all-over pattern. It's just a two-row repeat for, I don't know, I think it's going to be a 25 by 25 square when I finish. And then you put on a border and add some sleeves. It should be very tiny sleeves. So So I'm just, it's great TV knitting. It's kind of all I'm really working on. It's not at all portable, but... That's why we have Kindles for standing in grocery lines right now. So I'm trying to keep focused on that. So this is the one I met the designer in the Sincere Sheep booth at Stitches and chatted with her and tried on the sample and it looked really cute. And we talked about yarn colors. And this pattern is from a book that came out, I think last year called I Knit San Francisco. So it's about seven or eight patterns that are all based on San Francisco things kind of a love letter to San Francisco from from local designers and the photos are all taking place in the city. So this one is designed on based on Ruth Asawa's artwork. Oh fun. Which is all, you know, metal 
kind of knit crazy shapes. The Postal Service has a Ruth Azawa stamp set. Oh, right, right. Yeah. This year. It must be an anniversary for her. That's been a fun book. And there's a couple of really good patterns besides this one in there. So I think I will be doing some more designs out of that book. Fun. I can't wait to pop. I want to look through that book. That sounds great. Yeah, if you look on Ravelry, you can find it all the patterns around there. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah, so that's all I've been knitting. Not not a ton of stuff. That being focused kind of takes away from the, the numbers. Well, speaking of knitting, someone knit me a knit gnome, one of those little gnomes. Oh. And dropped it off on my door, and I painted it in the 100-day project because, as you'll recall, I'm painting joyful things, and it was... Very Christmassy, this guy. Oh, he's so cute. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I recognize that one. And he has a little crossbody burlap sack that she made for him. It's very cute. And this is one of our listeners' mothers who follows us on Instagram. Her name is Joe. That was uh, dropped off at the house. I painted it that night. I painted it for my 100 Joyful Things, my 100-day series. And I I have to say that I want to claim a little gold star for keeping with it through all that has been going on here. Most of our listeners know that we, um, my mother-in-law passed away. And one of the things that I really appreciated about her was that she loved when I would do the 100 day project because she would get up and have breakfast And then she would look and see what I painted the day before. And if I didn't paint something, she'd call me up, ask me what was wrong, what was going on. So I felt like in the spirit of my mother-in-law, it was important to keep painting. And that is what I've been doing. Although just little snippets, some of them were really quick. But I feel like it's been good to keep making the effort, even if the even if the sketches were smaller. I am on track for 100 days of joyful things. Some days are very hard to find something joyful right now, but I did build a list at the beginning of the project that allowed me to pull ideas when I got stuck. So that's been helpful and I've used it a few times. I definitely have some favorites from the joyful things project and I definitely have some that I wish I could redo, but onwards. I also started a class with my friend Daria, and it's through a group called The Good Ship Illustration, which is a consortium out of, geez, I don't know where they are, somewhere in England. That is maybe not going to be posted so, so much on Instagram, but it is definitely a good in the background, working things out, trying new experiments and seeing where that takes my work. And so that's just begun. And then I am doing this month's grid. You know how I did the citrus grid and the last month was the leaves. There's another one in there that I'm totally forgetting. (laughs) So this month it is gems, gemstone grid. And I have arranged it, but I haven't really dove into it just yet. 
And then this week is also the 320th anniversary of Mary Delaney, who is the mother of Collage. Oh, I saw something about that somewhere. Yeah, I read that. I read a book about her, and I'm forgetting the name of it and everything, back a couple months ago. I'll try to remember the... I'll write it down, the Mary Delaney book. Anyway, it's her 320th birthday on the 14th. And so a bunch of people are doing nods to her collage work. And I didn't do a collage yet, but I've been doing little studies. And I think what's really distinctive about her work is that she uses a really dark, dark background. And so that's fun for the graphic punch and... I'm hoping to make a collage, although this week is is some closure with some family stuff, so I don't know if that will happen. But a little by little, I have been making in the middle of all of what's going on. Not so much cooking. Have you been cooking? On my table, I've, well, I mean, I've been cooking. Yeah, so I made an almond gatto from Simple Cake. I talked about Simple Cake last time. That is from Odette Williams and came out last year and is 10 cake recipes, 15 or so frostings and toppings, whatnot. And so she did have this one that was gluten-free that's an almond cake. And I have an almond cake from my flourless cookbook, which has been my go-to. But I thought I would try this one to keep testing out this book that I spent, you know, $2 on. This one was definitely, this was, it was different. Uh, I mean, the flavor was pretty much the same, but this one was a lot more substantial. The other one I make is very crumbly and moist and barely holds together, which I think is how it's intended to be. This one definitely was more cake-like, felt really like a like a snack cake, but equally delicious. So I enjoyed that. And I, did I do a topping with it? Oh, I think I just had some fresh strawberries that I had gotten from my farm produce box. So I mix those with powdered sugar and balsamic. We put that on the top. And so that was good. And then I'm being inspired. I haven't actually made anything from either of these. But local chefs and New York chefs have put out e-cookbooks to support their rest- as a fundraiser for their restaurant communities. So the New York one is called Family Meal Recipes from Our Community. I think I got that one on Amazon because it's showing up on my Kindle reader. And the local San Francisco one is called Stay In Cookout. And they both feature big-name chefs doing recipes. The New York one has, like, Smitten Kitchen and Ina Garten, Eric Repair. And they're not super fancy restaurant food for the most part. Odette Williams is in there as well with another one of her cakes. So they're definitely – it's pretty meat-heavy, so I, there's not a lot that I'm feeling called to make. But there's there's some desserts in there that look pretty pretty tasty and some things that I might, might end up making. Uh, the San Francisco one has tartine salted chocolate cookies, which I was just looking over, and they're actually made from buckwheat, which is gluten-free, and no wheat flour, so those have definitely gone on the list. And they have the recipe for super-duper burgers pickles, which, Ooh. yeah, so I guess they're just in the Bay Area, super-duper. So they're one of our local burger chains, very small, but they always always have a jar of pickles that you can go pick out and munch on, and they're delicious. I might might have to try pickling. We'll see how that goes. But they have recipes from Chez Panisse and Nightbird and all sorts of all sorts of San Francisco recipes. So that was pretty cool. Have you ever eaten at Chez Panisse? Once. I have never been. I think I need to make that happen straight away. Enough of this nonsense of you know. Maybe not straight away, but. <laughs> soon. 
as soon as possible. Maybe they're doing takeout. A lot of the fancy fans restaurants are doing takeout, which uh, is killing me. I'm like, oh, I would totally order that, but it's meat and gluten. I can't. I can't spend that much and, and not and just sit there and eat it by myself. So, but there's. Um, take, I mean, I could. I was, you know where I live. You just come by and split up the portion, and there we go. Go on your way. <laughs> we'll have to step that up. Yeah. Yeah, Simon and I went there for his birthday. Oh, gosh. It must have been like 19, 1997. Oh, my goodness. So we were we were babies, right? Like, So that was a huge big deal. Yeah. We came out to California for a wedding, and we made it our vacation and you know, drove up and down the coast. It was right around his birthday, so that was like our last night that I made his reservations. His birthday is in September. You make the reservation, but you don't know. It's a set menu. You don't know what right. until like that week. They announced what the menu will be, and he is not a big fan of eggplant. I was like, please don't let there be ratatouille involved. There totally was ratatouille. <laughs> <laughs> we just like eggplant and tomatoes. I was like, oh, the one thing. But it was September, so what else was going to be on the menu? But it was right. just he ate it, and he's since more or less gotten over his eggplant. <laughs> which is good as a vegetarian. But I have, it, is, it has been a while since I've been there. Yeah. Good stuff. But I am excited to I think her recipe was a rhubarb galette, which is not going to happen. But I do love rhubarb as well. Yeah. And last night I made turkey meatballs from Small Victories by Julia Tershko. Oh, good. It's a nice recipe. She already doubles it for you. Her whole idea is it serves four, and then you can freeze half. She makes the sauce. She makes the tomato sauce involved. Very simple. You start off making that and let that simmer. You make the meatballs, and she uses ricotta to bind it. So there's no, well, there's no egg either, and there's no breadcrumbs. More importantly for me, with my gluten-free people, and it makes them really light and fluffy. And then you bake them, and you finish them in the sauce for like the last ten minutes, which is also great for me because then I could keep my sauce and my meatballs separate. Pulled out some extra sauce, and I got those meat-free sausages. I think the ones my store has is from Beyond Meat. Um, and I kind of chop, not chop them, break them up into smaller sort of sauce, like meatball-sized pieces and fry them up and then added the sauce. So Simon could have the same idea of meatballs and sauce. And then I threw the rest of the turkey meatballs in the sauce. And yeah, we still have a ton left. So I guess technically in my house, it serves three and then half left over, but but that was tasty. And I did the cauliflower slaw from Smitten Kitchen that was in her newsletter this week. She did a whole thing on minimal ingredient recipes, which is definitely where my, my head is right now. Yeah. There was still, so both of these were really simple, clean recipes, but and not even a lot of steps, just doing two. It felt like three because the sauce and the meatballs cook separately. It's kind of like, wow, this is a lot of cooking right now. But it also felt good because I'm, haven't been doing that as much. So it was nice to have like a whole substantial meal for for my guys. Yeah. Yeah. That's about it for me. How about you? Anything on your table? Well, we have been feeling the love from our family and friends and people have socially distanced delivered meals for us. That was really wonderful because it, you know, it just allowed us to not have to grocery shop as much and to prep as much and, you know, do what we needed to do. And for Mother's Day, we decided that both my mom, who's on the East Coast in South Carolina, and 
my mother-in-law, we call her Mama Gina, they both loved lemon, lemony things. And um, my mother-in-law was a diabetic. And so she was not able to like really enjoy desserts and sweets and that kind of thing. But we figured we could definitely make it in her honor. And so when I woke up on, I guess it was Saturday, I decided, oh, I'm going to make lemon bars in their honor and we'll have them on Mother's Day. It's one of my mom's favorites. I've never made them before because I don't particularly, or I didn't think I liked lemon curd. And so I got up and I just like opened the book and started making lemon curd. And I made this beautiful lemon curd and it, it was delicious when it was warm. I mean, I loved it. So surprised. It was really simple. And I did just the yolk version so that I didn't have to use a double boiler. And it was really smooth and it was just bright and citrusy and, and it really was pretty cheerful. And then when I flipped around for a recipe for lemon bars, I realized that, oh, lemon bars are not just shortbread with <laughs> lemon curd on top. <clears throat> I find that hilarious. I'm sorry, but I just was laughing so hard so when I was reading that. I just fouled up the whole thing. Would... Well, I mean, you made lemon <laughs> curd. That's not a foul up. Right. That's a win. Oh. I don't know what, I just had it in my head that it's just lemon curd slathered on a shortbread. And no, it's not. So I still haven't made the lemon bars because then I was like crying and upset because I oh. did it. <laughs> you could um, just but, make the shortbread and just dip it in. I mean, and just spread the, I mean, that would still be delicious. Shortbread with lemon curd would be fabulous. I could have, except that oh. then I had all of these egg whites and I thought, you know, we've been doing the the great, macaron experiment here and so we threw together a batch of uh, citrus macaron shells with the rest of the egg whites and the rest of the lemon juice and the rest of the lemon zest in some ways it was one of my best batches yet but they were way too fragile for the lemon curd because i tried to sandwich them with the lemon curd the taste was right on, but they were really fragile, and I don't know why. But I had, and I don't think I talked about them, we made the Oreo macarons. Like, they were on Instagram, but I don't think we've chatted yeah. about them here. So we made the Oreo ones, and they were just awesome. Thanks. We had taken apart, it only calls for like, I don't know, six Oreos. We might have doubled that, you know, for the, the extra crunch and deliciousness factor. The Oreo shells were fantastic. The filling was way too sweet for us. And so I think next time we'll back off the the confectioner sugar on the filling and do more a little bit more butter and a little bit more maybe heavy cream to help, if that makes sense, <laughs> lighten up the the sweetness there. Or maybe just some regular whipping cream in it. The shell on those, though, was superb. So now we've made three batches of macarons. And the first one, we were like chemists. It, everything was perfect. We thought everything was perfect. We followed it to a T. We only let them dry for 30 minutes before we baked them. And we didn't get as much of a foot. So on the last two batches, we let them dry for an hour before we baked them. And the foot was just impressive and it had a much better shell. So I think that that's a key part of it for us. We have been double sifting the almond flour 
and just being really careful of that. And they're a huge hit. I don't know why the lemon ones were so fragile, but... Was it rainy or humid? Because that wouldn't that affect... I have no idea. We are living in a absolute surreal time warp over here, so... Well, yeah. I don't. I didn't really pay attention to that, but that's a good point. That's pretty much it for the cooking. I have been cooking, obviously. These people are not starving, but nothing... Nothing new, exciting, or of note. Makes sense. I actually have an entire Macron cookbook. Really? Well, they are generally gluten-free. So mm-hmm. I was, in theory, going to like become an artist in this, in this <laughs> keyboard. Uh, did not happen. Cookies right now seem to me too complicated because of the having to scoop them out individually. So I need to, to think about that. Cakes, where you can just kind of like throw it all in the pan and be done seem much more accessible although my family seems to be going through if I make a cake it'll be gone by the next morning usually get through the evening and then morning so I feel like cookies might be able to be stretched out a little bit longer although probably I'm I'm dreaming there so regular cookies I will freeze some of the dough and then you know like six or eight cookies and then surprise them with them I think that one of the chief things we learned about the macarons was that Initially, you know, I drew a template and we filled them and we made sure that they were all perfect in the same size. And then the second and third time, I just used the pastry bag and eyeballed it. And we figured just two two of these have to match to make a pair. I mean, they don't all have to be exact, exact, except for cooking time. So if they're all about the same size, then we don't need to do this fiddly drawing of circles. The recipe wanted us to make one and one quarter inch circles. That's like a little bit bigger than a quarter. I don't, I don't have a quarter here to measure it, but so tiny. That is so much work. (laughs) So our macarons are like monster. (laughs) No, they were, they were like two and a half inches. They were definitely That's jumbo sized. Yeah. I would imagine that someplace like William Sonoma has a mat that you can buy that will measure out the macarons. Oh, speaking of William Sonoma, vanilla ice cream starter. I texted <laughs> you about this and I followed up. So I have to so to back up for our listeners, flipping through Instagram, William Sonoma has a little ad for their summer things that are coming out. So I was like, oh, you know, I always like to look at their catalog and dream about having closets full of amazing seasonal china never going to happen but still music and i do fully have their r2d2 instant pot so i am on board with the crazy things the thing that i feel is a step too far is they had they are now selling ice cream based starters one of which was vanilla vanilla ice cream starter (laughs) i texted courtney what the heck is this? Isn't that just vanilla? Because there's nothing in ice cream. I mean, unless you're doing a custard-based ones, but they're not going to package up eggs. I'm like, it's it's vanilla. There's there's cream and sugar and vanilla. There's nothing else that goes into ice cream, really. Like, what are they selling? So I did go on there and look up what is in this thing that they are selling for $14. It is sugar and vanilla and a pinch of salt. <laughs> Oh my gosh. You've got to be kidding me. Someone there is, if actually people buy this thing, then they're just a marketing genius because, I mean, to be fair, like I fully buy cake mixes and pancake mixes, you know, occasionally to just, yeah, it's just easier, right? I feel that sugar and vanilla is just a step too far, I got to say. I agree. For $14 for sugar. 
<laughs> mixed with vanilla. I think yeah. that's hysterical. So yes, but a macaron that could be a wise investment. That did cross my mind. I think we're going to take a break from the macarons for a little <laughs> while. My, my older son loves the pavlova. And so the bigger ones definitely satisfy his need for the pavlova. And if they're too big, then we just cut them in half and just eat half. Or I do. No one else has that problem. I think you're right that the mat would be a good way to go, especially if I was going to do them for a party or an event where I wanted them to look a little bit more refined. Although I have to say, they look pretty great. I would imagine. Yeah, it's fun. It's been a great experiment. Once you get back on the kick, if you need some additional flavoring ideas, as I said, I have an entire book. Thank you. Um, We are definitely up for borrowing the macaron book. We we definitely want to do like a peanut butter chocolate one that was on the list. I want to make a matcha one, but... I'm the only one who will eat that in theory. As soon as I make it, they'll all try it. But I imagine like, if the filling with something, unless you want full matcha, then that might be an issue. But like you could certainly mix it with do the filling or something else or vanilla or yeah, I'll call William Sonoma. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, William Sonoma. <laughs> anyway, so on the nightstand. Yep. Have yep. at it. Ah, so I can't believe I almost forgot to talk about this. I'm, again, super confused about what has happened when I read The Mirror and the Light by Hilary Mantel, which is the <laughs> final of the Wolf Hall trilogy. Love it. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Yeah, it's great. Good. I did talk about this, didn't I? Talk you about talked this? about it, but I don't think you had finished it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I loved it. I, it was taking me a long time to read. I was, wasn't having a lot of... Well, it's like time. 700 pages, isn't it? And it's 700 pages. Yeah. So it was big. But then I realized, oh yeah, when I... Because I ended up buying it because I'm not going to get it from the library anytime soon. They gave me the Audible copy for free. So it's like, hey, let me switch back and forth. So that sped things up considerably. And the, the reader was really good. Good. Well. So that was... Yeah, so that kind of doubled my, my consumption time of that book. The funny thing was, the closer I got to the end, because, I mean, spoiler, he dies. And it happened a while ago, so I feel like I can say that. We know it's how it's going to end. It's not good for him. I knew it's going to happen, and you become so invested in this character. Yeah. Over the course of three giant books that you don't, you don't want to see it happen to him. And she does a really good yeah. job of, of dealing with it and him being in prison and... All, all the feelings he's going through. And, and so it's kind of picking up my reading speed and also not wanting to get to the end because I know it's going to be horrible. And it, it was horrible and beautiful and all the good Aww. things. Oh, and then my, my new book club that I joined is going to read Wolf Hall in the fall. So I get to start it all over. So I'm excited about that. Excellent. Um, yeah. So then I kind of pulled a Courtney a little bit. <laughs> and I don't know what that means. Book. Got confused about two books. <laughs> Combine them. Thanks a lot. <laughs> it wasn't quite. I as blame. Awesome I blame as Karen Slaughter. <laughs> well, yes. Okay, I pulled Karen Slaughter. Yeah. Uh, no, this one was fully, kind of fully my issue. So there is a book that came out a long time ago, and I tried to read it. Everybody loved it. It's like international bestseller, and it fully sounded like something I should love. It's called The Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz Zafón. Yeah, yeah. Everybody loves it. And there's no reason I shouldn't love it. It's about a library. It 
historical fiction, kind of, I mean, not historical fiction, it takes place in Barcelona, there's intrigue, there's a little bit of magic is my understanding. I'm not really sure because I cannot get into that book. I can't either. Oh, yay! I knew we were friends for a reason. I feel so I have tried to read that book six times. Okay, I feel better. I'm stopping it too. This is my second time. I got a little bit farther this time. I was like, I can, I can make it through this. It's not that, I mean, it's, it's a decent sized book. I was like, I just don't care. I do not yeah. care about this person. I don't understand why, but I don't at all. So anyway, I was listening to what should I read next? And I think she's recommended it. You know, it's come up in conversation. Someone that was one of their favorite books. So she recommended it to someone and it came up again. I was like, oh, all right, you know what? I've got all this time on my hands. Let me try reading it again. I was like, because listening to the description again, I'm like this, I should like this book. And so I went to the library and I couldn't remember the author or something. So I went to the website for what should I read next, cut and paste the title of the book and the author and threw it in the library search. And it came up and the cover of the book looked totally different from what I remembered it. And then the description of the book also sounded totally different. And I was like, wow, this is not at all where I remember. I mean, this one sounds really good too. It's got a whole bunch of star ratings. Great. Okay. Request it. It's like, this is really not, this is not by a Spanish guy. I feel like this is Spanish. It was translated. <laughs> so the one she was actually talking about on the show is The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss, not Show oh. of the Wind. So very similar thing. <laughs> this one is a full-on fantasy book, very different. Also, you know, very well received. Like, yeah, oh, Adam, well, Adam reads a lot of gonna... the Patrick Rothfuss. Oh, really? Yeah. So yeah. I was like, all right, I'm still going to commit to the Shadow of the Wind thing, but I totally want to check out this Name of the Wind. So I did start Shadow of the Wind. That one came in for my eBooks first, started that. Still can't get through Sorry, Carlos, it's not going to happen. But Name of the Wind, I really enjoyed. So Patrick Rothfuss, this dude runs an inn and there's a spider, a giant. Oh, yeah, this one has giant spiders. <laughs> so you probably shouldn't read this. No, I don't think that the and world knows this about me, but I don't I do like spiders. We've talked about this before. Yeah, anyway, it's, not ha it's not happening. So <laughs> there's dark creatures with lots of legs. <laughs> <laughs> It turns out the innkeeper is actually this legendary magician warrior guy, and he's hiding in the inn. We don't quite know why. Is um, he an arachnophile? No. He, kill, he kills the spiders, so it's okay. Oh. Yeah, no. They're like demon creatures. Okay. The, the country is kind of in a downturn. There's lots of warlords. So, okay, maybe a pandemic, other stuff okay. going on. So he's running the inn and a scribe comes in and realizes who he is. And he's like, hey, I want your story or I'm going to tell everybody. And he ends up making a deal with him. So he starts telling his story about how he, you know, his childhood. And we've gotten, he's about 15 now. And he's kind of a child prodigy, you know, really smart, athletic. He's good at all the things, uh, but kind of cocky and, and gets in trouble a lot. So he's at university and he's, Killed a dragon and yeah, it was it was a pretty fun book. I, I enjoyed that and I have already requested the second one in the series. So good. I read this was for the book group this month, uh, the Unwomanly Face of War by Svetlana Alexievich, and this was written in Soviet Union in the 80s, but was not able to be published until after Perestroika and Gorbachev, and was released in English and maybe re-released, then came out in English in 2004, and she won the Nobel Prize in, I think, 2015 for her 
body of work, I believe. So this one is interviews that she did with Russian women that were at the front in World War II. And wow, cool. Yeah, so it was not a cheery book for this time. And the book club was kind of like, we picked this one in September. We don't want to change it in case people bought it. But if you didn't read it, don't worry about it. We'll talk about other stuff as well. But it was it was really interesting. I think as Americans, we don't tend to get the Russian view of World War II. Perspective, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they didn't start until 41. They made a deal with Germany and sat out for a while, sat out. They were neutral for a while. Um, and then Germany invaded, and all of a sudden, they had Germans heading for Moscow. I gather from this that under communism, a lot of the women had been brought up as you participate in saving the motherland as well. So when the call came for soldiers, they were like, yeah, we're going to the front. What can we do? And there was still a lot of pushback, but a lot of them, not only as nurses, but as snipers and miners. And there was one woman who was in the Navy and all the thing. And so this, uh, the author, her thought was, we never hear, we, A, we just never hear about the women, the fact that they did this. And there were societal reasons for why that was true. But men are kind of, especially at that time, brought up to be soldiers, fighters. They expect I don't know if expect is the right word, but they it's always a possibility, I think. And women generally aren't. And how did that female perspective differ? And not just exactly being a woman, but how did they perceive war? How did they go through it? What was their experience of it? So it's really part of her plan was to invent a new way of telling history. So it's really it is mostly little snippets of her interviews. It's the people, the women speaking in their own voice what they said, and she organizes it thematically. And there's definitely a lot of horror. I mean, it's, it's war, it's memories of war, but also things of beauty they saw, acts of kindness, you know, both both sides of it, and then what they dealt with afterwards. And it's just amazing. And a lot of these girls were so young, especially the ones that she was talking to, like 16, 17, running away, lying about their age. And even 18-year-olds were like, okay, you're technically an adult, but we don't really want you. But the 16, 70 year olds, I can't, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's how old my kids are. I can't, I can't imagine them uh, running off to join the army. So it was a hard book, but, but definitely a very interesting and different viewpoint. And that was The Unwomanly Face of War by Svetlana Alexievich. That's fascinating. And she wrote one about Chernobyl as well, which Ooh. sounds like would be really interesting. Although again, really tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is where I am right now. What has been on your nightstand? Well, a couple weeks ago, and I didn't get a chance to talk about it, I read Valentine by Elizabeth Wetmore, which takes place in somewhere in Texas. I'm forgetting where. I'm forgetting a lot of the details of this book. It was really, it was really interesting book. It starts off with a terrible assault and then it unfolds. So it takes place in 1976, which means that the women don't have much of a voice and the women of color who are working, you know, have come up from Mexico or across the border have, have way less of a voice than it's just terrible. Given that that was 45, 44 years ago, you know, it's just compounds the whole thing. Everybody knows who committed the assault, and but because the assault was committed against an immigrant, there are definitely sides and opinions and 
and it's pretty brutal in, in so many ways. But I think what drives the narrative is these strong women who refuse to let this be the defining characteristic of their town and are just sort of fed up and angry. And there's a little bit of hindsight, you know, where they'll, she injects the voice of, if I had known how this was going to unfold, I would have done this totally different. So it's, it's interesting to hear these interjections, but hindsight's always twenty twenty, And I think it's meant to be not a, like a cautionary tale, but more of a, like, do your best from the get-go in every situation. It's, it's a really worthwhile book. It's called Valentine, and that is the name of our main character. So that's by Elizabeth Wetmore. And then I was thinking of joyful things. And one of the joyful things for me are old books that I pick up from the library book sale. And a couple years ago, I picked up a beautiful copy of My Antonia by Willa Cather. I didn't really realize it at the time, but it's a, it's um, annotated, like not annotated. It has notes in it. It's the full version, but it's like a college student's copy of it from Rice University in the 1950s. And it has all of her little penciled notes. Oh, marginalia. In the margin, marginalia, thank you. It's the full version of My Antonia, which I haven't read since I was in high school and had... Yeah, I don't think I've ever read that one. I need to, to add it. I had either misremembered it. Oh, there's a hummingbird outside coming to say hi to everyone. I had either misremembered it or it just, it didn't make the impact that it made last week. You know, I think part of it is the whole pioneer mentality, you know, like this is what we have to do. We, and it feels different right now. Not that we're pioneers, but we're definitely in this time of thinking about things differently. I had also totally forgotten that it's written from a man's perspective and I'm even forgetting his name. I've had a lot going on. For people who don't know, My Antonia is an American classic novel about bohemian immigrants in the 1890s. So Bohemia was like Czech Republic, I guess. And so this family has come over from the Czech Republic and they've been sold this plot of land in Nebraska and it's supposed to be the land of good and plenty. And when they get there, they realize that they've kind of been swindled by, I don't know if he was a family member or, or just somebody else from Bohemia. And it is not the house that they were, you know, they were told it was going to be this grand house and this farmland that was just, you know, just gave and gave and gave. And they just didn't realize how much work it was going to be and how much it was going to cost to buy horses or carts or how much work it was going to be to seed and how devastatingly brutal the winters are in Nebraska. And they didn't have the proper clothing for it. And it's a lot about this family's hardship and this one, their, their one daughter who is older than our narrator, but she makes a real impact on him is Antonia and he teaches her how to read and she has a just the most amazing sense of self and she is just 
a complete light throughout the book. And it was a wonderful and sad book to read while we were losing someone. And that will never leave me. Like I will always remember that book in great detail now. So I loved it. And then I painted the cover in my 100 daily things or joyful things. And then thanks to you, I read The Night Watchman by Louise Erdrich. That's the one about the 1950s Chippewa tribe in, where are they again? South Dakota? Yeah, I think so. And how they, they are um, kind of battling with the Congress about the Indian emancipation, which they're trying to make sound like a good thing, but really it's just taking even more away from them, which is a historically accurate event and or events. And it also follows this family of Chippewa. I guess they're all related in some ways that that tribe, right? There's a lot of interconnections. Yeah. And in, yeah. And in particular, Patrice or Pixie and and her search for her sister. There's there's a lot of other uh, narratives threaded through. Monica talked about it two week two episodes ago in in more detail, but I guess it it struck me as kind of timeless in a way. Like I had forgotten that it was 1950s. I mean, it just feels it feels timeless. Their rituals and their their oppression. And sadly, you know what I mean? It just feels yeah, like... so much hasn't changed. I think the only thing that kept popping me back into when it was happening was when the guys would talk about, oh, my grandfather was with the guys that originally made this treaty in the right. 1990s or whatever it was. I was like, wow, that's that's a long time ago. But for them, it really wasn't. Right, right. Yeah, it was really beautiful, worthwhile, novel, his, historically accurate novel. It, it was not the fastest read for me, although nothing is right now, but I felt like it was definitely a slow build, slow and gradual build. And then I was so committed to these characters in the end, I really wanted to know how things were going to fall into place for them. And I just felt like the characters were so well developed. I was, I was in it for the long haul. It was really good. And then I just started The Book of Longings, which is the new Sue Monk Kid, which is about the wife of Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it is, I thought it was going to be another like slow, (laughs) slow build novel, like my last four. But I think I read 150 pages last night, which is the most I've read in days and days and days. So I can't wait to talk about that next time. Did also finish Twilight, rereading that. <laughs> Reading along for the um, Twilight in Quarantine podcast. So that was amusing. It's always kind of fun to see. Because I think I've watched the movie more recently, at least. And not terribly recently than I've seen the book. So it's always kind of interesting to go back to the source material and see how things differ. And because of that, I did catch that Midnight Sun is finally being released which is the Twilight from Edward's point of view, which has been put off two or three times because of various. Are they using the same actors or different? Oh, no, like the book is coming out. (gasps) Oh, 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 oh. Stephanie Meyer (laughs) is finally releasing the book, not the movie. Ah, That would be a good trick. (laughs) Maybe he really is a vampire. Twilight's pretty light and fluffy. And the podcast is hilarious. They are super snarky about it. And they they kind of backed (laughs) off. They're like, okay, we're going to start. 
each episode, and they're only 15 minutes long or so. This is kind of segueing into on the fly. So let's pretend we're there. They, start, they made themselves start off. Let's talk about at least one thing that we actually liked in the chapter. Because <laughs> most of the rest of the time, they give the characters advice. And what, what are they doing wrong here? Oh, Part my one, goodness. Don't kidnap your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> don't let your brother kidnap your girlfriend. That's where we are. Good stuff. So that one's fun. Other than that, I've been taking online dance classes through Zoom. It's been super fun. So my younger son has gotten into musical theater, and he takes choir at school, but he has no dance experience. And so he said, hey, you know, I'm going to go to high school next year, and maybe I should have some dance experience. Can't really go take dance classes right now, but then one of the local ballet companies, I'm on their email list, and they said, hey, we're doing online dance classes. So I said, hey, let's do this. So we've been doing ballet, basic ballet. I did ballet for years, but I have zero skills left. So I know how to do it all. I just can't do any of it. So that's been interesting. Wow. A musical theater dance class, which was perfect. And I am really bad at that, but it's super fun. The guy (laughs) teaching it is, I think he's been on Broadway. He's performed lovely so he is so cherry and that was interesting the ballet is definitely a class where you're doing bar work and a little bit of floor work and learning the basics this one is kind of every class it's an hour long and you do some warm-ups and you then learn a quick little dance routine so we've done you know like a five minute i don't even know it's probably not even five minutes it's probably like 30 seconds (laughs) but it feels like (laughs) a lot longer i guess classes have been going pretty well. They're doing a whole slew of them. They have multiple levels of ballet now, contemporary character dancing, all sorts of things. There's a hip hop class. And I'm sure this is, you know, all dance companies, I imagine are doing this. You could go with your local and support your, your local arts if you're interested, but it's, it's been pretty fun. So yeah, so we've been doing that. And they just rearranged the schedule. So now our classes are all kind of midday. They were they were happening at dinner time, which was a little tricky. So that's that's my on the fly. All right, so bingo is coming back. I am looking forward to it. I don't know about anybody else, but I'm excited. I am. So the dates will be, and I can't believe it's this soon. It will start, I'm going to call it Friday evening, May 22nd, because that is the start of the Memorial Day holiday weekend here in the United States. That Monday is the official Memorial Day, but I figure <laughs> everyone's going to be hanging out anyway. Yeah, totally. But it usually, it would be, you know, a nice three-day weekend here in the U.S. for most people. So, yeah, so starting and, you know, Friday night, get off work, start marking your bingo. And again, you know, we're not really checking on these things. And it will run through Labor Day, which is September 7th. So we have, I feel like, an extra long time this year. Yeah. It's going to be a really long summer. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) How exciting. We can all hang out and relax for even longer. But yeah, so kind of the same format as last year, we'll have our bingo card. A lot of the things will be the same. We're going to update and refresh and put some new new squares in there. But the same idea, fun, crafty, cooking, reading, tasks to accomplish, kind of summery vacation related because it is summer here in the Northern Hemisphere. If you need to edit it for your, your Southern Hemisphere self, feel free. It's bingo, people. Yeah. Complete a row, complete in any direction, try for a blackout. And then you do not have to post pictures of your completed tasks, but we'd love to see that. We have a hashtag for it. It'll be whatever was last year, but 2020. Yep. 
CCRR Summer Bingo 2020. You do need to post uh, your finished card. Oh, and how do they get the card? I am going to make our little, our, our big refresh on it, and then we can put it on the Podbean site, right? Well, no, it'll be. We had it on Instagram. We had it on Instagram that they could just screen grab it. So we'll do that. And then if they want it emailed, they can reach out to either one of us and we'll send a PDF copy. Yes. And the email is craftcookbreedrepeat at gmail.com. I mean, you can contact us other ways, but we'll need, need an yeah. email to, to send you a, a hard, well, a PDF, not a hard copy. So there's a, a good mix of cooking projects, making projects, reading projects, and then that one middle freebie to get you doing what you love every day. Yeah. And again, we, we want it to be fun. We want it to be inspiring. We want it to be, to push you a little bit to try something new, but we also, <laughs> you know, times are hard. You do what you can. Right. There is no sourdough. There's no sourdough starter on this, but if you want to try a sourdough starter, there is a new technique square. So there's there we that. Go. Perfect. And so once you have completed a row or a column or a diagonal, then you can, we do ask for a post, a picture of that on Instagram with the hashtag. And we do need to be following you. Anyway, yeah. we work out the details, but yeah. Um, I, and then we'll have, we'll have some sort of prize at the end of the summer. Oh yes, for sure. I do recall that one of my favorite things that people posted about last year were their heirloom recipes. I loved hearing people talk about their heirloom recipes and I personally attempted to make my own lingerie because of the bingo grid, right. which was a spectacular, I don't know if it was a fail. It just, they aren't wearable. <laughs> um, and the whole time I thought I didn't have a grill and there's a griddle in the, or a grill in the middle of my stove. Do you remember that? I do. Yes. So let's just say you may think that this doesn't suit you, but when you get a look at it, it might push you in a new direction. <laughs> And we do hope you will you will post and use the hashtag so we can summer bingo along with all of y'all. And we'll keep we'll talk about it and update it and remind everyone next time. But that bingo card should be available when this episode goes up. That's yeah. our goal. Because yes. then it starts like two days later. So <laughs> <laughs> which boggles my mind. Totally. Mind. Makes no sense anymore at all. It's craziness. All right. I think that's it for now. Good chatting with you. Good to see you. Make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Hello, and welcome to episode 40. Oh, my gosh. This is 40. It's 40. Is it 40? It's really 40. Okay. Yeah, we should do that again. <laughs> yeah. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.